Chapter 14 of The Romance of Modern Invention. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sherry Lothridge. The Romance of Modern Invention by Archibald Williams. Chapter 14 Liquid Air. Among common phenomena, few are more interesting than the changes undergone by the substance called water. Its usual form is a liquid. Under the influence of frost, it becomes hard as iron, brittle as glass. At the touch of fire, it passes into unsubstantial vapor. This transformation illustrates the great principle that the form of every substance in the universe is a question of heat. The metal transported from the earth to the sun would first melt and then vaporize, while well, what we here know only as vapors would in the moon turn into liquids. We notice that, as regards bulk, the most striking change is from liquid to gaseous form. In steam the atoms and molecules of water are endowed with enormous repulsive vigor. Each atom suddenly shows a huge distaste for the company of its neighbors, drives them off, and endeavors to occupy the largest possible amount of private space. Now, though, we are accustomed to see water atoms thus stirred into an activity which gives us the giant steam as servant, it has probably fallen to the lot of but few of us to encounter certain gaseous substances so utterly deprived of their self-assertiveness as to collapse into a liquid mass, in which shape they are quite strangers to us. What gaseous body do we know better than the air we breathe, and what should we less expect to be reducible to the consistency of water? Yet science has largely brought prominently into notice that strange child of pressure and cold, liquid air, of which great things are prophesied, and about which many strange facts may be told. Very likely our readers have sometimes noticed a porter uncoupling the air tube between two railway carriages. He first turns off the tap at each end of the tube, and then by a twist disconnects a joint in the center. At the moment of disconnection, what appears to be a small cloud of steam issues from the joint. This is, however, the result of cold, not heat, the two being full of highly compressed air, which by its sudden expansion develops cold sufficient to freeze any particles of moisture in the surrounding air. Keep this in mind, and also what happens when you inflate your cycle tire. The air pump grows hotter and hotter as inflation proceeds, until at last, on metal, it becomes uncomfortably warm. The heat is caused by the forcing together of air molecules, and inasmuch as all force produces heat, your strength is transformed into warmth. In these two operations, compression and expansion, we have the key to creation of liquid air, the great power, as some say, of tomorrow. Suppose we take a volume of air and squeeze it into one one-hundredth of its original space. The combativeness of the air atoms is immensely increased. They pound each other frantically and become very hot in the process. Now by cooling the vessel in which they are, we rob them of their energy. They become quiet, but they are much closer than before. Then imagine that, all of a sudden, we let them loose again. The life has gone out of them, their heat has departed, and on separating they shiver grievously. In other words, the heat contained by the one one-hundredth volume is suddenly compelled to spread itself thin over the whole volume. Result, intense cold. And if this air be brought to bear upon a second vessel filled likewise with compressed air, the cold will be even more intense, until at last the air atoms lose all their strength and collapse into a liquid. 
Liquid air is no new thing. Who first made it is uncertain. The credit has been claimed for several people, among them Olszewski, a Pole, and Pictet, a Swiss. As a mere laboratory experiment, the manufacture of liquid air in small quantities has been known for twenty years or more. The earlier process was one of terrific compression alone, actually forcing the air molecules by sheer strength into such close contact that their antagonism to one another was temporarily overcome. So expensive was the process that the first ounce of liquid air is estimated to have cost over six hundred pounds. In order to make liquid air an article of commerce, the most important condition was a wholesale decrease in cost of production. In 1857, C. W. Siemens took out a patent for making the liquid on what is known as the regenerative principle, whereby the compressed air is chilled by expanding a part of it. Professor Duar, a scientist well known for his researches in the field of liquid gases, had in 1892 produced liquid air by a modification of the principle at comparatively small cost, and other inventors have since then still further reduced the expense until at the present day there appears to be a prospect of liquid air becoming cheap enough to prove a dangerous rival to steam and electricity. A company known as the Liquid Air, Power, and Automobile Company has established large plants in America and England for the manufacture of the liquid on a commercial sale. The writer paid a visit to their depot in Gillingham Street, London, where he was shown the process by Mr. Hans Knudsen, the inventor of much of the machinery there used. The reader will doubtless like to learn the plain unvarnished truth about the creation of this peculiar liquid, and to hear of the freaks in which it indulges, if indeed those may be called freaks which are but obedience to the unchanging laws of nature. On entering the factory, the first thing that strikes the eye and ear is the monstrous fifty-horse-power gas engine pounding away with an energy that shakes the whole building. From its ponderous flywheels, great leather belts pass to the compressors, by which the air, drawn from outside the building through special purifiers, is subjected to an increasing pressure. Three dials on the wall show exactly what is going on inside the compressors. The first stands at 90 pounds to the square inch, the second at 500, the third at 2,200, or rather less than a ton, pressure on the area of a penny. The pistons of the low-pressure compressor is 10 inches in diameter, but that of the high-pressure only 2 inches, or one twenty-fifth of the area, so great is the resistance to be overcome in the last stage of compression. Now, if the cycle pump heats our hands, it will be easily understood that the temperature of compressors is very high. They are water-jacketed like the cylinders of gas engine, so that a circulating stream of cold water may absorb some of the heat. The compressed air is passed through spiral tubes, winding through large tanks of water, which fairly boils from the fierceness of the heat of compression. When the air has been sufficiently cooled, it is allowed to pass into a small chamber, expanding as it goes, and from the small into a larger chamber, where the cold of expansion becomes so acute that the air molecules collapse into liquid, which collects in a special receptacle. Arrangements are made whereby any vapor rising from the liquid passes through a space outside the expansion chamber, so that it helps to cool the incoming air and is not wasted. The liquid air tank is inside a great wooden case, carefully protected from the heat of the atmosphere by non-conducting substances. A tap being turned, a rush of vapor shoots out, soon followed by a clear bluish liquid, which is the air we breathe in fresh guise. A quantity of it is collected in a saucepan. It simmers at first, and presently boils like water on a fire. 
the air-heat is by comparison so great that the liquid cannot resist it and strives to regain its former condition you may dip your finger into the saucepan if you withdraw it again quickly without hurt the cushion of air that your finger takes in with it protects you against harm but if you held it in the liquid for a couple of seconds you would be minus a digit pour a little over your coat sleeve it flows harmlessly to the ground where it suddenly expands into a cloud of chilly vapor put some in a test tube and cork it up the cork soon flies out with a report the pressure of the boiling air drives it now watch the boiling process the nitrogen being more volatile as it boils at a lower temperature than oxygen passes off first leaving the pure blue oxygen the temperature of this liquid is over three hundred and twelve degrees below zero as far below the temperature of the air we breathe as the temperature of molten lead is above it a tumbler of liquid oxygen dipped into water is soon covered with a coating of ice which can be detached from the tumbler and itself used as a cup to hold the liquid if a bit of steel wire be now twisted round a lighted match and the hole dipped into the cup the steel flares fiercely and fuses into small pellets which means that an operation requiring three thousand degrees fahrenheit has been accomplished in a liquid three hundred degrees below zero liquid air has curious effects upon certain substances it makes iron so brittle that a ladle immersed for a few moments may be crushed in the hands but curiously enough it has a toughening effect on copper and brass meat eggs fruit and all bodies containing water become hard as steel and as breakable as glass mercury is by it congealed to the consistency of iron even alcohol that can breathe the utmost arctic cold succumbs to it the writer was present when some thermometers manufactured by messrs negretti and zambra were tested with liquid air the spirit in the tubes rapidly descended to two hundred and fifty degrees below zero then sank slowly and at about two hundred and sixty degrees froze and burst the bulb the measuring of such extreme temperature is a very difficult matter in consequence of the inability of spirit to withstand them and special apparatus registering cold by the shrinkage of metal must be used for testing some liquid gases notably liquid hydrogen which is so much colder than liquid air that it actually freezes into a solid ice form for handling and transporting liquid gases glass receptacles with a double skin from which all air has been exhausted are employed the surrounding vacuum is so perfect an insulator that a dewer bulb full of liquid air scarcely cools the hand though the intervening space is less than an inch the fact is hard to square with the assertion of scientific men that our atmosphere extends by a hundred or two miles from the earth's surface and that the recesses of space are a vacuum if it were so how would heat reach us from the sun ninety-two millions of miles away one use at least for liquid air is sufficiently obvious as a refrigerating agent it is unequalled bulk for bulk its effect is of course far greater than that of ice and it has this advantage over other freezing compounds that whereas slow freezing has a destructive effect upon the tissues of meat and fruit the instantaneous action of liquid air has no bad results when the thing frozen is thawed out again the liquid air company therefore proposes erecting depots at large ports for supplying ships to preserve the food cool the cabins in the tropics and we hope to alleviate some of the horrors of the stokehold liquid air is already used in medical and surgical science in surgery it is substituted for anesthetics deadening any part of the body on which an operation had to be performed in fever hospitals too its cooling influence will be welcomed 
and liquid oxygen takes places of compressed oxygen for reviving the flickering flame of life. It will also provide invaluable for divers and submarine boats. In combination with oil and charcoal liquid air, under the name of oxyliquid, becomes a powerful blasting agent. Cartridges of paper filled with the oil and charcoal are provided with a firing primer. When everything is ready for the blasting, the cartridges are dropped into a vessel full of liquid air, saturated, placed in position, and exploded. Mr. Knudsen assured the writer that oxyliquid is twice as powerful as nitroglycerin, and its cost but one-third of that of the other explosive. It is also safer to handle, for in case of a misfiring, the cartridge becomes harmless in a few minutes after the liquid air has evaporated. But the greatest use will be found for liquid air when it exerts its force less violently. It is the result of power, its condition is abnormal, and its return to its ordinary state is accompanied by a great development of energy. If it be placed in a closed vessel, it is capable of exerting a pressure of 12,000 pounds to the square inch. Its return to atmospheric conditions may be regulated by exposing it more or less to the heat of the atmosphere. So long as it remains liquid, it represents so much stored force like the electricity stored in accumulators. The Liquid Air Company have at their Gillingham Street Depot a neat little motor car worked by liquid air. A copper reservoir, carefully protected, is filled with a liquid, which is by mechanical means squirted into coils, in which it rapidly expands, and from there passes to the cylinders. A charge of 18 gallons will move the car 40 miles at an average pace of 12 miles an hour, without any of the noise, dirt, smell, and vapor inseparable from the employment of steam or petroleum. The speed of the car is regulated by the amount of liquid injected into the expansion coils. We now come to the question of cost, the unromantic balance in which new discoveries are weighed and many found wanting. The storage of liquid air is feasible for long periods. A large vacuum bulb, filled and exposed to the atmosphere, had some of the liquid still unevaporated at the end of twenty-two days. But will it be too costly for ordinary practical purposes now served by steam and electricity? The managers of the Liquid Air Company, while deprecating extravagant prophecies about the future of their commodity, are nevertheless confident that it has come to stay. With this small fifty-horsepower plant, its production costs upwards of one shilling a gallon, but with much larger plant of 1,000 horsepower, they calculate that the expenses will be covered and a profit left if they retail it at about one penny a gallon. This great reduction in cost arises from the economizing of waste energy. In the first place, the power of expansion previous to the liquefaction of compressed air will be utilized to work motors. Secondly, the heat of the cooling tanks will be turned to account, and even the exhaust of a motor would be cold enough for ordinary refrigerating. It is, of course, impossible to get more out of a thing than has been put into it, and liquid air will therefore not develop even as much power as required to form it. But its handiness and cleanliness strongly recommended it for many purposes, as we have seen, and as soon as it is turned out in large quantities, new uses will be found for it. Perhaps the day will come when liquid air motors will replace the petrol car, and every village we shall see hung out the sign, Liquid Air Sold Here as the French say, qui vivra vera. End of chapter 14